Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke. Young Mary, pregnant with a son, visits her aunt Elizabeth, who is also pregnant, with her soon-to-be-born son, John the Baptist. Both women have received undeniable miracles from God, and upon seeing one another, are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who provokes this amazing exchange between them, as recorded in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 39 through 55. Hear these holy words that prophesy the coming Messiah. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes, comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in, my, in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me and his holy name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Please join me in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't really remember where it came from. Quite frankly, it was a pretty innocuous, if not entirely insignificant, trinket. But I loved it and had loads of fun with it. Perhaps it was from a crackerjack box back in the era when you could actually get some pretty nifty gifts in that box after making your way through all the goodies. Or maybe it was part of the take-home favors from one of Mrs. Ficker's imaginative birthday parties that she put on for her son Kim, one of my good friends. Or maybe gifted with a quarter from my parents. I even purchased it from a nearby five and dime where, believe it or not, you could actually get something for five or ten cents. It was a little plastic, translucent, encased magnifying glass, although in my then tiny hands it seemed a lot bigger than probably it really was. 
For such an insignificant little trinket, it provided me with absolutely hours of entertainment as I explored anything and everything about me. From checking out my pet cocker spaniel Skippy, especially her face, and trying to see if she were really sweating through her tongue, <laughs> to checking out the texture and trying to figure out what those dark speckles were in the new casserole that my mother had prepared for supper. My world simply exploded as I rendered the smallest parts of my life and the least significant aspects of my environment to that enlarging capacity of that tiny, tiny magnifying glass. You know something, it only got better. For in time, I located high up on one of the bookshelves in the family living room the official home magnifying glass. This was adult size, and boy, what a find it was. Heavy, almost beyond my initial capacity to manage it, that thick glass was held in place by a solid but attractive metal holder. With a far bigger glass, so increased my capacity, almost exponentially to enlarge my known world. From there, it was not long before I started acquiring new friends, people who also wielded magnifying glasses thus convincing me of their critical importance in revealing the vast secrets of the world that I inhabited, solving all the riddles of life, and giving witness to the truths of life which the ordinary unaided eye might never notice, apprehend, or fully appreciate. You know some of these people. Sherlock Holmes and Inspective Gadget, to name just a couple of them. They all had magnifying glasses. Suddenly I was a detective unlocking the wonders of life as I took something small and made it big using the properties of something as basic as light to make visible that which was invisible, to bring front and center that which was otherwise obscure. Thus, decades later when I learned of Mary setting out in haste to a village somewhere in the Judean countryside to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who, like Mary, was pregnant, and during the conversation hearing Mary exclaim, my soul magnifies the Lord, trust me, I, for one, sat up and took notice. My soul magnifies the Lord. For whenever or wherever something is magnified, certainly in my mind it not only got bigger, but more often than not got better, at least by some standards, if not all. Now, it's true that to magnify something could be to exaggerate it or blow it out of proportion. In that sense, it could distort the truth or, in the vernacular, fudge the facts. Now, I wonder who in our midst, in order to tell a good story or make a compelling argument, has not, on occasion, Padded the facts, overdrawn the case, overstated the details, or otherwise embellished the meaning of something in order to make a point. On the other hand, to magnify something much as one may focus the sun's rays through a magnifying glass to start a fire, is to intensify, if not amplify, universal truths simply waiting to be revealed to an expectant humanity. 
To magnify is to enlarge, deepen, and enhance visually, intellectually, and spiritually such essential things as core values or truths or understandings which govern our various worlds. When something is magnified, not only is it increased or enlarged, but it can as easily and immediately be multiplied, dignified, ennobled, and glorified along with a felt sense of intensity and power and purpose. Well, such a consideration with respect to Luke's account this morning makes for an incredibly dramatic turn of events along the journey of faith when one realizes who Mary really is. For according to Luke, Mary is nothing more than an ordinary young woman. Some might even suggest a peasant girl, an adolescent, if you will, living in a rather obscure town, engaged to an ordinary man, indeed a simple carpenter, in the most customary of ways. There's absolutely no reason in the world why anyone beyond Mary's own family should even have noticed her. She's lowly unobtrusive, undistinguished, indeed essentially unknown. And she's a common player in the daily drama of life, just like you and I may be common players in our everyday world. There's no indication whatsoever that Mary is destined for anything out of the ordinary. Like countless millions who even today live exceedingly common, unextraordinary lives, even impoverished lives, Mary's life, when she headed off to meet Elizabeth in the countryside, was to be nothing more than the usual routine which on any given day might be simply a struggle for survival, working long, hard days with occasional moments of rest, relaxation or recreation, or simply even a casual visit to a relative or a friend. Amazingly, this is the moment when you and I as people of faith begin to understand not only how God functions in our world to enable the salvation of the human family, but how and by what means, manner, and attitude you and I, like Mary, are to be open, available, receptive and responsive to the goodness and grace of God in our lives. Now let's be honest, and let's face some theological facts. As ennobling as Mary's Magnificat is, and as grand and glorious as it is to our ears, there is nothing easy about what Mary proclaims. It's exquisitely poetic, incredibly beautiful, and powerfully uplifting as God uses Mary to magnify, to reveal, and to make real the hope and promise and power of the good news. All of which, however, speaks to the politically, socially, and ecclesially subversive character of Jesus' arrival in the world. That arrival, my friends, being joyful good news to some, to folks like Mary, to the least, the lost, the marginalized, and the relatively powerless, that's good news to them, but to others, perhaps to those in power and places of influence and privilege, 
to those people, that arrival might prove a challenge to the good order of society. The truth of the matter is that Mary's incredible song of rejoicing, whereby she reveals God's ultimate plan and power, will not set well with many, including many of us in worship this morning. People who by reason of birth or circumstance may easily find ourselves among the privileged, the well-connected, and the well-to-do of this world, at least relative to two-thirds of the world's people. To us, Mary's song comes as a huge challenge, perhaps even a threat, for it bespeaks the possibility of discomfort and discontent in life as you and I know it and live it. For what is at hand in the birth of Jesus Christ is nothing short of revolution. And while we in Concord, Massachusetts, of all places, the birthplace of the American Revolution, might savor, celebrate, and take great pride in what transpired here on this sacred soil. In God's economy, we could find ourselves not in the obviously favored position. For God in Christ with Mary as handmaiden is about revolution. God is about a moral revolution where the proud are scattered and pride in all of its unhealthy manifestations will vanish. God is about a social revolution, where the humble will be exalted and the powerful brought low. And God is about an economic revolution, where the goal of life is not to amass as much as one can in a lifetime, but with the goal that everyone not only gets enough, everyone, Everyone gets enough to live fully, fairly, and faithfully, and without want, but receives only to give away. That's revolutionary stuff, folks, and if you don't trust my word on it, go back and read the scripture lesson this morning. It's right there. In dozens of different languages that everyone around this world can read and understand. So don't take my word for it. Read the good news. This is the gospel, my friends, and not only is Mary the one to magnify this, to enhance it, to enlarge it, ennoble it, and enable it, but so is it our charge as well as people of faith. And the reason why every year the calendar turns once again to December 25th, that Christmas magnifies, makes larger, makes real God's plan for the salvation and rescue of the human family, the entire human family, for the making whole of life for all God's children, not just a few, and for the meaning of why you and I have been gifted with life in the first place to begin with. God comes to us in the weakest of all forms, a vulnerable little baby, which in itself bespeaks a world which is turned upside down. And you and I as people of faith, along with Mary, are invited to partner with God for the good of the human family and the glory of God. So this is Christmas. 
a time which magnifies, which deepens, enlarges, and makes more compelling and intense God's will for our lives. And Mary's song is our best clue as to how God intends to fashion our world. For as we have heard, God comes into the world in unexpected ways, through the lives of humble, unlikely and often excluded, marginalized people. As Mary averts, God cares deeply and passionately about people and how people live. God cares particularly about those who are shut out, people who are hungry in this abundant economy. The Magnificat ought to make us uncomfortable with the reality of homelessness in this land of plenty, the reality that millions of our children go to bed hungry every night, the reality that our economy and tax structure exacerbate the gap between the rich and poor, and it only gets bigger. We hear the clarion call for peace, flourishing in a far too violent culture. God cares a lot about injustice and inequality and poverty and unnecessary human suffering. So, good friends, let us embrace Mary's wonderful song, hearing once again its promise and possibility, and let us embody it as fully as we can for all God's people. As Mary would sing, my soul sings in gratitude. I am dancing in the mystery of God. The light of the Holy One is within me, and I am blessed, so truly blessed. This goes deeper than human thinking. I'm filled with awe at love whose only condition is to be received. The gift is not for the proud, for they have no room for it. The strong and self-sufficient ones don't have this awareness. But those who know their emptiness can rejoice in love's fullness. It's the love that we are made for and the reason for our being. It fills our inmost heart space and brings to birth in us the Holy One.